listening to sermons from South Point Fellowship, where we are equipping the family of God for the mission of God to see everyone around us transformed by the gospel of Jesus. For more information, please visit southpointfellowship.org. Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 6 this morning. Church history tells us that when the writer of this letter, the Apostle John, as he, as he grew old in his life, he also grew very frail. And it's said that his disciples would actually pick him up to take him into the gathering of God's people on, on the Lord's Day. And when he would get into the assembly of the saints, he would say one thing, little children love one another. And the next week, his disciples would bring him in there and he would say, little children love one another. And and weeks went by and this was all he had to say. He just kept saying that, that one little phrase. And someone asked him at some point, John, why is it that that's all you have to say to us? Why, Why nothing else? And John said, it's the Lord's command. And if this only is done, is it enough? Wherever you are, if you're watching online, uh, if you're here in person, if you're able, would you stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word? 1 John chapter 2. And you'll see the Apostle John begins this very passage in a similar way. 1 John chapter 2. My little children, he says. I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He's the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. I want us to walk away this morning really understanding that as a result of Jesus Christ's advocacy, Christians should confidently follow him in everyday life. And now I worked, I want you to know something. I worked really hard on that statement, okay? I I refined and I worked and I worked and worked to come up with that little thing. But if you don't get it, there's no real point. So, So listen, the question behind that would be this. Are you confident in your relationship with Jesus? If you, if you would say to me this morning, young or old, Chris, I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. He's my Lord and Savior. Are you confident in that relationship? I'm talking about confident like John is in the beginning of this letter when he says, this is the message, this this message is being proclaimed to you so that you have a deep fellowship with the Father and his Son, Jesus. I, I ask because there have been many times in my own Christian walk when I just wasn't so confident. And I'll tell you why. It's because during those times, I was caught up in unconfessed sin. It was during those times that I was caught up in secret sin. I I remember the occurrence frequently. 
in late middle school and high school. I wanted to have this fellowship with Christ that other people talked about. Man, my relationship with the Lord is so sweet, and I just had to keep thinking to myself, what is it that everybody else has? I don't, I don't have this ongoing fellowship, the fellowship that John here is talking about in his letter, that, that my joy may be complete. My relationship with the Lord was all over the place. That's what I wanted, but sin was plaguing me, and I didn't know what to do about it. I wanted to stop it. I pleaded with God over and over to take it away, but, but nothing. And I would, I would go to church. I would hear his word taught. I would feel like everyone could see it on me. And I wanted so desperately to change. I wanted to let someone in. I wanted to tell someone else about my sin struggles. But who? And what would they say? And I, I, I was looked up to. I was, I was supposed to be a model student in my relationship with Christ. After all, I said, man, I'm going to give my life for vocational ministry in eighth grade. And yet I had this problem with sin that I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to deal with it. I didn't know who to tell. I didn't know who to go to. If I said something, people would think I'm a fraud. I knew that God had given me his word, forgiven me, his his word says he has in Christ, but a constant deep fellowship with the Trinity, I couldn't imagine what that would be like. Have you ever been there before? Is that you today? What would it be like if I had a, a deep, constant fellowship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? First, I want us to see in verses 1 through 2 the cause for fellowship. If you and I are going to have a deep, abiding, constant fellowship with the Trinity, there must be a cause. Now, our letter writer, John, he has much to say about this fellowship, and he even has to say that our sin often causes disruption in it. But first, it's almost as if he's pausing to say something that should be obvious but usually isn't in the Christian life. He says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you, if you're looking there in the text, so that you, what? May not sin. So that you may not sin. Is John saying that the Christian could ever be perfected in this life? No. Because we've already heard what he said elsewhere. If you say you have no sin, what do you do? You deceive yourself, and the truth is not in you. So what is he saying? He's pausing to give us an identity reminder. Before Christ, what was our nature? It was sinful. Before Christ, our nature was sinful. In Christ, you've been given a new nature. Don't forget that, Christian. Before Christ, your nature was sinful. Now in Christ, you've been given a new nature. The Apostle Paul says about the Christian in 2 Corinthians, a familiar verse to many of us, 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is past. Behold, the new has come. Romans 6.6, Paul goes on to say, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no no longer be enslaved to sin So consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Before Christ, 
you were a slave to sin. You did exactly what sin told you to do. You did everything that sin longed to do. Now, Christian, you're a slave to righteousness. That means this, that you don't have to sin. Are you going to sin? We'll get there in just a moment, yes. But you don't have to sin. Sin's call is no longer the most dominant thing in your life. Your desire is for Christ and what honors him. That's who you are. So define yourself biblically, Christian. You aren't a sinner primarily. You're a saint. Look at the next half of the verse with me. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. You're no longer primarily a sinner. You're a saint. And now John says, you're actually a saint that sins. And now John says, if you do sin, you can still have fellowship with the eternal Godhead because of one reason and one reason alone. That is because you have an advocate who is Christ Jesus and he is with the Father. You say, man, I'm, I'm here this morning and I'm just wondering what to do with all of my sin. I identify with your opening story, Chris. I find myself going in and out and in and in and out of the motions of Christianity and this relationship with Jesus. And a lot of the times I just find myself plagued with sin, not knowing where to go, not knowing who to turn to. Christian, you must turn to Jesus, who's in our, who is our advocate. You already know that you can't keep it to yourself. You can't figure out on your own how to get rid of this sin. It nags you. It keeps you up at night. It keeps you from sleeping. It makes you complacent in all of your life, lethargic. It'll keep you irritable, and it'll even keep you pulled away from those you love most. Christian, when you sin, you need to know this. You have an advocate in Christ. Now, this Greek word, advocate, means helper. And most often in the New Testament, in fact, every other time that this word is used, is it's used to refer to the Holy Spirit. We're, we're used to hearing that about the Holy Spirit, the, the paraclete. Turn with me to Romans 8 really quickly. Romans 8, verse 26, says this about the Spirit. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the mind intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Every other time when we hear about our helper or our advocate, or in Greek, our Paraclete, it's talking about the Holy Spirit, but for some reason, John now uses it to describe Jesus Christ who is with the Father. Why? Think about this. When you walk out the process of, James, uh, of sin that James talks about in chapter one, when you walk out that process, when you're lured and enticed by your own desires and give way to sin, how do you feel? Like you can't possibly turn now and face to God, right? When you know you've blown it, 
When you, when you know the clear command of Scripture, this is a sin of commission, something that you know exactly that God has told you not to do. He said it clearly in his word, and you think about it, and you clearly act in opposition, and then you realize really quickly, man, I have blown it. How do you feel in that moment? Like you can't possibly turn to God now. John tells us that you have an advocate to represent you, a helper before the Father. Jesus is our helper in heaven. The Holy Spirit has been given to us as a helper in our hearts. Jesus, John says, is our helper in heaven. And the text goes on to say, a helper with the Father. Don't miss that. Jesus isn't walking in and out of the throne room of God. When you sin and when you're not sinning, Jesus doesn't say, oh, I'm, I'm back here. Father, can I have a, a word with you? Can I have your ear for just a moment? It's about Chris again. It's, it's not that as though the son is walking in and out before the father. Remember, Jesus has ascended into heaven and he's now seated where? The right hand of the father. That's where Jesus, our advocate, always finds himself. He is with the Father at the right hand. This word with means that the Son is face to face with our Father God. Your advocate, your helper, the one who is interceding on your behalf is always there whenever you sin. Is that an amazing thing? Even, even Christian, when you don't realize that you find yourself in sin, Jesus Christ, who is with the Father, is interceding on your behalf. He's, he's helping you. Your advocate, your helper is there. And some of you will remember not too long ago when we were in Hebrews chapter 7 earlier this year that Jesus Christ, he always lives to make intercession for those he saves. Jesus Christ who is with the Father, is, is looking right now into the Father's eyes and he's fellowshipping intimately with him. He stands ready to make intercession for you whenever you sin. So Christian, whenever you find yourself in the middle of sin, when you're tempted to think that you can't possibly return into fellowship with the Father and the Son and the Spirit, Remember that Jesus is there interceding on your behalf. He is helping you as your advocate before the Father. And that Jesus Christ is our sympathetic high priest, that he understands how difficult it is, our human plight. Jesus knows the very temptations that you're facing even right now. He's sympathetic to the difficulties that you come up against in this life. And so when you go to him with your sin... And as he pleads your case before our loving and compassionate father another, another time, remember just what he knows about you. And then there is that last identifier after Jesus Christ in verse 1. It says, the righteous. Jesus Christ, the righteous. Jesus Christ, who became man, yet never sinned, 
remained perfect. He fulfilled the righteous requirement of God's law perfectly. He stands before God right now for all time perfectly accepted, and he can plead your very case on that account. Martin Lloyd-Jones put it beautifully when he asked, can you imagine any greater comfort and consolation than that? As a result of Jesus Christ and his standing in the presence of God on my behalf, I say this, I say it with trembling, listen to this, and yet I say it with confidence. God would be unjust if he did not forgive my sin. Christ has died for me. It is righteous and just for God to forgive the sins of all who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ the righteous. Okay, so we need to go to verse two. Look there with me. He's the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Jesus, our propitiation, meaning that he became a sacrifice for sin on our account. He took the very wrath of God that was due us. And he took it on himself so that we could be looked on by God with favor. That's what propitiation is. His provision is sufficient for any in the world that would confess Christ as Lord and trust in him for the forgiveness of sins. This is the cause of our right standing before God. This is the cause of our continued fellowship before God. We often think about Jesus Christ's work on the cross as a, as a, a done thing and he has never thought about it again. But Jesus Christ, he continually advocates before the Father, before us, before him. You always come before him through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's how you're accepted before the Father. And so, Christian, when the enemy comes to chat, telling you in your sin that you'll never have fellowship with God again, that you're not worthy to be in the fellowship with God, let alone his people when he reminds you of all your worthlessness, leading you to feel hopeless as though you can't tell a soul. Lloyd-Jones goes on to say, remember to announce to him, I have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, and he is the propitiation not only of my sins, but of the sins of the whole world. I am accepted by God. The fellowship is restored, and I continue on my way. Where are you going, Christian, when you sin? What are you doing with your sin? Jesus Christ, the righteous, that's where to go. So if Christ Jesus is the cause of our fellowship, we we must now look to its result. Look there in verse three and six with me. We'll get there in one second though. I want us to see the result of fellowship. Now, I mentioned this a little bit last week about the idea of Gnosticism that was infiltrating this early church. Now, the Gnostics would say in John's day that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, but it doesn't necessarily affect how you live in the everyday. It doesn't necessarily mean that you have to act in a certain way according to what God has said. John says, no, 
the way that you know that you have fellowship with the Father and his Son, a true relationship with Jesus is to do what? It's to look exactly at how you live. Throughout the rest of this letter, we see various tests for Christian fellowship. Commentators have divided them up into three categories. So if you're thinking holistically about the book and you've read with us the book of 1 John at some point already, there are three tests that come about in this letter. The first is this. It's a theological test. Do I believe the correct things about Jesus? The, the second one is social. Do I love others? And the third test is this, and it's moral. Do I obey the commands of God? The, the test that John is putting for, for us here right now is the moral test. Do I obey the commands of God? Look at verse 3 with me. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. So again, this is the moral test that John has put before us. And this started with the Gnostic heresy, but so often you ask Christians about their relationship with Jesus. If you were to just go up and, and find someone who professes to be a Christian, you say, hey, how, how do you know that you are a, a Christian? They, they may something, say something to you like, well, I, I prayed a prayer when I was younger or I was baptized. John says, fellowship with the Trinity is demonstrated in everyday living. That's that's how we know that we're in fellowship with the Father and His Son. And so if, if I were to say to you that I'm married to Dory and you wanted to probe more about that relationship, you might ask, could you, could you tell me more about that? Could you tell me more about your relationship? And if my answer was, well, I have a wedding ring, you might say, no, you don't because I gained too much weight during quarantine and I'm working on that. But that's, that's not the case right now. I, I don't have a wedding ring on. So I, I, can't point, I can't point to that. I'm not even wearing it. And second, you'd say that wedding ring, even if you were able, Chris, to put it on right now, it says nothing about your actual relationship with your wife. You want to know when you ask a question, tell me about your relationship. You want to know how I communicate with my wife, how I serve her, how I cherish her, and the like. If you're looking for assurance in your very salvation, look to the fruit that you're producing in your life. Look to the actual fellowship that comes with the Father if you've come to know him, John says, you will keep his commandments. Verse 4, look there in the text with me. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Now, let's keep this in check with what John has already communicated to us. Again, if you say you have no sin, you are just deceiving yourself. If you have sin, if you do sin, you have an advocate with Jesus Christ who is with the Father. And now following this through, if you sin, you aren't keeping God's commandments, right? 
So is John saying that if you sin, if you don't keep a commandment, then you fall away, that your, that your relationship with God is totally severed, that it's broken, that it's torn apart? No, this, this goes to the pattern of, of your life. It goes to the very desires of your heart. If you're saying to everyone around you, John says, I know God, but the desire of your heart constantly is to do whatever you please to do whatever you find yourself wanting to do, then the scripture provides no security for you in Christ. You're a liar and the truth is not in you. So how do we know if we're in Christ? If we keep God's word, verse five, the love of God is perfected. Meaning our love for God is going to grow all the more strong. The more you grow in fellowship with God, the greater your love for him. The more you fellowship with God, the more you realize how often Jesus Christ actually advocates on your behalf. And the more often you realize that you're actually a sinner in need of God's grace, in need of, in need of Jesus Christ's advocacy. And what happens then? the more you grow in your love for God, that he would lavish his grace upon you time and time again, and that he continues to be for you and not against you, that he continues to keep you and uphold you in his grace, that his son Jesus Christ continues to stand in the face of the Father interceding on your behalf, that God never tires of you that he never grows weary of you. How do you know if you're in Christ? Verse six, if you say you abide in Christ, you'll walk the same way in which he walked. Here, John likely has the cross in mind. And how did Jesus Christ walk to the cross? He walked in obedience. Jesus Christ never sinned. He followed perfectly the law of his father, as you grow in your relationship with God, dear Christian, where are some areas of obedience that need your very attention? What is it today? Where are the, where are the areas in your life that you would say, man, I'm, I'm not being obedient to the word of God in this very area of my life or these very areas of my life? How are you not walking like Jesus in this very moment? Jesus also walked to the cross sacrificially. He knew that he had no need to die just for himself because he had no sin. He was righteous, accepted before the Father. He was giving up his life for the sake of his friends who were sinners. As you grow in your relationship with God, dear Christian, what are the areas in your life that need to be given up? How can you grow in self-sacrifice? And perhaps that's a question that you alone can't answer. Maybe that's something that you need to put before the, the friends that God has placed in your life, those that you find in your DNA or your life group. Perhaps it's your spouse. Maybe you need to look around in your community. Where are the areas that you, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, need to grow in the area of self-sacrifice? And don't forget to look around in our very church family. And just an example, uh, a week ago, um, a family in our Locust Grove congregation got the call to foster two children. 
And I was so excited because so many in our church family have been working for a, a little over a year to see that we would uh, a birth a, a foster care ministry and that the needs of our very community uh, would be swallowed up. That, that, that the family of God might be able to actually uh, take a stab into caring for people in our own community. And so a family got the call. I said, hey, would you take two children, eight and 10, coming from a very difficult situation right uh, at a, around 10 o'clock at night? And so they took them in with three more children of their own. They have a full house, and yet here they go walking in the area of self-sacrifice. I heard this story. A mom in our congregation asked for some help with uh, schooling her daughter. She didn't know how she was going to be able to pull it off now that virtual learning was a thing. And so another family in our church body said, hey, we'll, we'll homeschool your daughter for you. I just, I love the family of God coming together in self-sacrifice to care for one another. That is the way in which Jesus walked. On and on the examples go and self-sacrifice, hear, hear this, it's gonna look different for each and every one of you. So you may not be called to, to foster, but we are called to care for one another in the family. And so many of you gave Meals have already sent meals to this family. Other of you have sent gift cards. Other of you are, are praying and, and on and on and on, serving the needs within the body. Family, as a result of Jesus Christ's advocacy, you should confidently follow him in everyday life. You won't always get it right. You'll fall into sin at times and you'll stumble around. But make sure, don't miss this. Make sure that you go to your advocate, Jesus Christ, who is with the Father. Not going in and out from the Father, but he is sitting at his right hand with the Father, looking into his very face, advocating on your behalf, Christian. Confess your sin. Repent of it and continue to walk in the way of Christ by faith. That's the Christian life. That's it. When you find yourself in sin, the Holy Spirit has convicted you of it. Confess your sin. Repent. You have an advocate who is with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Turn from that sin and continue to walk in the way of Christ by faith. That's the Christian life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have been so kind to us in preserving your word that we might know you, that we might learn of you, that we might hear of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ died on the cross on behalf of sinful men and women that he was buried three days, that he was resurrected on the third day, and he's ascended into heaven. He's now seated at the right hand, at your right hand, advocating on our behalf, seeing that we would have continued and constant relationship with the Trinity. Father, I pray that if we find ourselves in the midst of sin and we don't know where to go that you might use the Holy Spirit, that you might 
that the Holy Spirit might convict us of that sin and that we might run to Christ Jesus, our advocate, that we'd confess our sin, that we would repent of it, that we might turn to you and walk in faith. Father, thank you for giving us an opportunity as your people to look to your word this morning. Thank you for the fellowship that you have brought about that we could actually have a right relationship with you, a holy God, and that our standing has never been and will never be on our own, but that it always has been and will continue evermore to be because of Jesus Christ's righteousness. God, we pray as your people this morning that we might walk in Christ Jesus' way that we might walk in obedience, self-sacrifice, and that we would walk for your glory. It's in Christ Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.